Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So we're starting our uh, Lenten leap of faith today, and uh, so you, you probably should have received this on the way in. If you didn't, there's more copies out by the front. Uh, you can do that. Uh, we uh, we do every year during Lent a, a leap of faith, uh, and Lent is this season that's 40 days before Easter. It's been celebrated for ever since the time of Christ in the church, and it is really a time when it's a beautiful opportunity for us to immerse ourselves in spiritual experiences that enrich our lives even beyond what's going to happen just between now and Easter. The focus this year for our topic throughout as a church is the concept of altars in our lives. The Bible is full of altars, and they're reminders of God's faithfulness. They are, as well as intentional moments of choice on our part, to connect to and to follow God and allow God to transform our lives. So during this Lenten leap of faith, we're going to invite you to do a combination of spiritual practices that have been powerfully potent in the lives of millions of Christians across the ages and even today. Uh, The goal is to allow these habits, these practices to connect you with God so that you get a renewed inner sense of your connection with God and inner life, but also cultivating you a greater capacity and compassion for other people around you. So when you walked in today, again, you should have received these. If not, go ahead and grab one. The third page is, uh, the second page is actually just your notes where you can write your answers to all the stuff and how you're going to go through this. But here are some of the spiritual practices we encourage you to engage in. I encourage you to engage in one or all of them. Uh, the more you do, the more you'll get out of it. But I only want you to do it if you can do it without pressure and guilt. If this is something that you really want to do just because you enjoy and can focus on getting to know God better in that way. One practice you might engage in is is just the habit of Sunday morning gatherings. Maybe that looks like for you preparing yourself more intentionally for Sunday morning worship by praying uh, beforehand and preparing your heart for it. Maybe it looks like you praying for others when you're here. Maybe it looks like you going and asking people to pray for you when you're here. Whatever it looks like for you to create space for these moments for you to encounter God, and maybe for some of you that means attending more regularly on Sundays. Uh, At the core of our Leap of Faith experience, which which we hope all of you will choose, if you can only choose one thing, we hope you'll choose this, and it's the three daily prayers around three questions, and they're in your your program there, but what do you want to do for God? What what do you want God to do for me is the first, what do I, sorry, okay, what do I want God to do for me is the first question. See, I think God wants us to expect his goodness. He wants us to expect him to show up. And so I want you to take one of your deep desires in life, and I want you to get in touch with that, and I want you to pursue God in prayer about that desire. The handout has a number of ideas for what that might look like to spark your thinking of what you want to focus on. The second daily prayer focus is, what do I want God to do for my five? And this is where we want to ask God to do something exciting and really cool for our friends, our neighbors, or our colleagues who have disengaged from active involvement in faith or maybe aren't followers of Jesus so 
at all. People you have regular contact with, so likely they're local, but they can be people you barely know, or they can be your best friends. Uh, the idea is that in addition to praying daily for yourself, you will pray for one or more of these five folks each day as well. And you might pray generally for them, just God bless them with a, uh, with a sense of your love and goodness today. You might ask, spend time asking God to show you how to pray more specifically. You might ask God to show you ways to care for them uh, and be generous towards them, or maybe even the opportunity to share part of your story of how God's been good to you, to them in that process. And, and maybe best of all, you could actually tell them you're praying for them and uh, ask them what you would like, what they would like you to pray for them, and then just kind of do that and follow up with them. The third daily prayer focus is this. What do I want God to do for my church or my neighbors and my city? Pray your hopes for God's impact through us, for you, for us as a church, in our neighborhood, and our community. We've seen this powerfully demonstrated over the last couple of weeks, haven't we, with the loss of our two policemen, with the, with the tragedy in Florida, and how it's brought people together to pray more. And we just want to see that continue and to increase and allow God to increase our impact in the lives of our community. Another spiritual practice you might engage in is daily Bible reading. If you don't already do this, pick a doable reading plan for you. version iOS app and Android app have hundreds of reading plans. There's other apps out there that have reading plans. Just pick one of them that sounds intriguing and helpful to you. Or pull out your paper Bible and, and read a chapter a day or read just a couple verses a day and, and allow yourself to pray about those verses and think about them. You might also consider uh, one of the most traditional Lenten uh, practices is fasting. Uh, it's uh, very frequently used. Fasting is the abstention from some or all food or some activity uh, for a period of time in order to focus yourself on f- more fully on God. So you might pass, you might fast from anything you like uh, on a schedule that works for you. Just don't don't compromise your health in the process. This may mean abstaining from all food for a time. It may mean in abstaining from a particular food or drink or habit or, or it may just be simplifying how you eat and live and how you spend money. It could be a fast from negativity. It could even be a technology fast, limiting yourself and how much TV you watch or social media or other tech habits. I know a while back uh, my son fasted from watching videos except for when we did family movie nights just because he wanted to pursue God. The idea is the goal is under God's direction that you are feeling hungry for something you want Jesus to do. It's not just fasting from something. Another option for a spiritual practice is that you do this with friends. You just do it with friends. I mean, you can do this alone, but I think you'll have a whole lot better experience if you do it with some other people. So ask a friend at Quest or maybe one of your five to do these spiritual practices or some of these spiritual practices you get together and uh, talk about it and encourage one another and uh, about what you're experiencing. Uh, I remember a good friend of mine a couple of years back did this with a, with a friend of his who was not a follower of Jesus. They just decided they were going to read a couple verses a day and, and pray simple prayers daily and, and talk weekly. And in the end of it, his friend came to faith in Jesus and is now a leader in the church. Do this as well with your small group. If your small group's together or if you want to join a small group, see Wendy, Emily, or the information out in the lobby. Just kind of a final comment on this. I don't want this to be religious. I don't want it to be pressured. I definitely don't want this to be guilt-ridden for you. So how do you do that then? 
Well, you just simply pursue God seriously, but you do it with freedom. You don't have to do things perfectly. You're going to probably miss some stuff, so don't make that a big deal. It's all about relationship. If you miss, just jump back in guilt-free and let's just see what God's going to do through us practicing and setting aside time for 40 days leading up to Easter where we do some of these practices and connect with God more. So altars. Altars in the Bible are important. We see them frequently in the most powerful and profound moments of people's lives in the Bible. There are moments of reminder to us of God's faithfulness. They are also moments in which we allow ourselves to personally encounter God's love and wisdom and allow that to become solidified in the fabric of our lives. There are often times of demarcation where our lives take a turn and we walk from then on with this newly impassioned, newly focused and strengthened passion and purpose in life. See, God loves to bring us to altar moments. Why? To love us, to bring good to us, to change us and give us a good future. So be thinking about what are the altars in your life? For me, I have a number of altar moments that I have captured in certain memories. Two of them are actually captured in memories in my office. If you come visit my office, you'll be able to see them if you want to ask about them. One of, one of them, many of you know the story too. Before coming to Quest, I, I was happily working with a great group of people on the West Coast and 100 churches doing some leadership development work. And God gave me a dream about Ohio. And in the contents of the dream that was illustrated, people desiring God's color and vibrancy. And and the dream closed with God posing a question to me. And the question was simple. Do you want to join me in something I'm already doing in Ohio to bring my color to lives of people? And I said yes. And I woke up with this just this profound sense of God's presence in the room with me. A moment, uh, it was a powerful moment of decision and a powerful moment of direction change for my life. And yet, it took another two years to bring understanding of what that dream meant uh, for it to become clear to lead us actually to here, to quest. And after that decision was finalized, it was about a month before we moved, we visited my uh, brother and sister-in-law who were in Redding, California uh, because of attending the Bethel School of Ministry at the time. And we wanted to grab some precious time with them when we were only four hours away instead of, you know, 50 hours drive away. So we arrived and before we said anything about, you know, the process of how we ended up making the decision to move, they knew we were going to do that. Renee, my sister-in-law, took this painting out and said, you know, I love to paint as part of my quiet time with God and my prayer time. And, and so I always ask God to give me a picture and then I paint it. And then when I'm done, I ask God, who is this for and what do you want to say to them about it? And she says, I, I, I painted this and God said it was for you and Wendy because you're going to join him in bringing his color where you're going. And it was a profound confirmation of an altar moment that happened two years ago, two years before that in a dream, but then God confirming that. See, there's another kind of altar I want to focus on today, though. So let let me get at that this way. In In the early fall of 1996, I was serving as the adult ministries pastor in a larger church. Wendy and I were both on staff there in Tulsa, overseeing small groups and connections and counseling and interns and starting new churches. And And on this particular day that I'm thinking of, though, I wasn't actually in Tulsa. I was in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, one of my favorite places on earth. Anybody else been there? If you haven't, it's 
gorgeous. I had been invited there. The lone, I was kind of the lone staff pastor to join a bunch of the denominational leaders and leading pastors from our movement uh, who were out part of a training session. And we had just gotten done eating lunch at, I think, what was the worst Chinese food I have ever seen or experienced. It was, it looked like gelatin covered fish eyeballs. Everything looked that way. It was just disgusting, especially for a Midwestern beef kind of a boy. It was like, this is not for human consumption. We had gotten done and in the moment, uh, we had a moment uh, to go back to the hotel for a, for a break before the next training session started and all of us were already, our stomachs were grumbling. We were so hungry because we hardly ate anything at lunch and what we did eat didn't set well with us. So we were already longing for dinner and, and, and we were on our way back to the room and one of the national leaders and a guy named Don Bryan who was the Pacific region, uh, head of the Pacific region of the movement asked me to join them in their hotel room and there were six of us who sat on these low budget double bed motel uh, beds for an hour or so having this vibrant stimulating discussion about God where God was taking the movement and what he wanted to do in terms of leadership development and starting new churches and little did I know a year and a half later that because of some ill-advised decisions by a couple of other people all at the church I was serving in, the church would lose 500 people in a little less than three months and not longer after that be forced to trim $18,000 a month for the budget, from the budget. And Wendy and I were without jobs all of a sudden, wondering what God had for us. I mean, we had been longing for a new beginning. They kind of knew we were actually looking for something new. That's part of the reason we were part of the crew that got let go. But after a few years in that setting, the last few years prior to that had been kind of challenging trying to navigate the decision-making environment. And then one day, about a month or so later, I got a call out of the blue from Don Bryan. That one-hour conversation 18 months prior God used it to orchestrate an offer of a new beginning and a job that I had dreamed I could maybe do someday, but I didn't expect to be able to do it for at least another 15 years because I I just felt like I was too young. I didn't have the experience to do it yet. In the script of my life, the plans for my life took a sharp new turn as God gave a new beginning and everything changed and I became an Oregon Duck fan, which some of you might not think is a good decision. You might think that was not God in that. My guess is many of you are in a place where you are either longing for a new beginning or in some area of your life you already are in a place of new beginnings. That may look like a new job a new relationship. It may look like retirement. It may look like the end of a relationship because of a loss or a change. It may be a difficult thing that you are facing in your life that is at least in part maybe caused by your own sin and failure or by the failure and sin of someone close to you. And it's so discouraging and it's so hard to see how you can get past that moment. And you wish you could erase it. You wish you could just have a do-over. Maybe it was a bad report, or or for some of you, maybe it's a really great report. You're going to have a new kid, and that's going to change your life, right? Maybe you made the decision that propelled you to that new start, or maybe life just kind of took you there. Whatever the reason, our core question today is, where is God in those new beginnings, and how does he want us to navigate into and through those moments of new beginnings in our lives? One of the reasons I love the Bible is because it is full of stories of ordinary people like you and I who find themselves in new beginning 
moments, and we get to read their stories and be encouraged by them. So I don't, I, some of you may not be, uh, may be real more familiar than others with the, with the Bible, but the, the, there's the story of Abraham and, and the moment God shows up and says, go to the land, I'll show you. I'm not showing you yet, but just start going and I'll, I'll eventually show you. And, and then there's the moment that Ruth says, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And, and there's David, this middle school, lanky little boy facing in the valley, facing this professional soul a giant of a man, Goliath, and he says to him, who is it that defies the armies of the living God? Today, in our first in the series on altars, we're going to dive into the story of Noah and talk about this altar of new beginnings, how God brings us to the altar and how we can respond to the choices of the altar so that we can walk into the really good new beginnings God desires for each and every one of us. The story is actually in the early part of Genesis where it's giving kind of snapshots of the beginning of human history and God speaks in his word, flings the galaxies into orbit and he breathes life into humanity and he calls it all very good. And what we find six chapters later where the story of Noah begins is that things have gone terribly wrong and God has decided that the best way to change, the best way to rescue things is a giant do-over. So God goes to Noah and tells him, I want you to spend basically the next hundred years building this big ark on dry land, big enough to house your family and a whole boatload of animals. So Noah and his sons build day after day after day. And then God miraculously brings the animals followed by the rain and the floodwaters. And a year later, the floodwaters recede and Noah and his family are finally able to emerge from the ark. Before we go too much further in this, can we just acknowledge this story is really wild. There are things in this story that we aren't all that sure what to do with. For example, how does Noah keep the wolverines and the bunnies together and have any bunnies left? How did that work? Uh, scientifically, how did all the land plants remain underwater for so long and still manage to survive so that a year later a dove comes back from being sent out from the ark with a leaf in its mouth, its beak? And maybe... Well, probably one of the harder things to imagine is how Noah and his family managed to live with all that manure in the ark. This is a wild story because it challenges us in how it fits with the character of a loving, good God because of how tragic the story is. And yet we love the story We decorate our kids' rooms with Noah Ark themes because, well, I mean, cute little animals peeking out of little arcs is just so adorable. Every kid loves it. Yet when we think about it, this is worse than Alice in Wonderland as a children's story. It's This story is about God's anger and just judgment, and it is fearsome. What do you do with that? With all that difficulty acknowledged, let's pick up the story in Genesis 8. After the floodwaters have receded in verse 15, it says, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is, in, that is with you that, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his son and his wife and his son's wives with him. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, verse 20, and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. 
And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, let's think about this. Noah and his family come out of this ark after this major traumatic experience. And God says, it's time to start over. Let's do this this thing again. And what does Noah do first? He builds an altar. Imagine for a minute the trauma of the past number of years, spending decades building this boat to the mockery of all those around, and then 40 days in the most tumultuous weather in history, seasick on the water. For the first few days, hearing the cries of people and animals desperate to live but dying outside. And outside, they are losing Everything they know, their home, their land, their neighbors, the extended family, their crops. Inside that boat, they are desperately clinging to hope in the promise of God to protect and bless them. And then later, after all this emotional, spiritual, physical exhaustion and trauma, God says, let's start over. And and Noah, it all depends on you now. God is changing the script. This is not just about a new beginning for Noah, but a new beginning for humanity. And and that's the way a lot of our altars are. They're not just new beginnings for you. They're new beginnings for you, your family, for your community, for others. And what does Noah do? He marks the new beginning first with an altar. The lesson here is, is simple and easy to remember. When God alters your life, he wants you to make an altar. When life changes, when a new beginning happens, make an altar. See, when we read the Bible, we don't just automatically, we don't, we don't automatically just do everything it says because we need to understand God's purpose back then and, and, and then let that same purpose be lived out. So, so building an altar for you doesn't mean gathering stones and wood and starting a fire and killing an animal. If we did, you'd be a little weird and you'd probably end up in jumpsuit orange for a little too long. What it means is we carve out space to encounter God and solidify the decisions, the learning that we need from God from that encounter in our lives through an action or something that helps us continue to walk in the power of that encounter and remember that encounter with God. See, building an altar first and foremost means creating space to encounter God. And second, doing something. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's hanging a picture to remember to continue to encounter and live in those promises. So let's drill down a little deeper here and look at Noah and the places of new beginnings and how he processes through this. Because I think what we'll see is new beginnings require us to take new postures as well. And the first posture comes out of the scripture where it says, and then God said to Noah, and it's really simple, We need a posture in life of listening to God because God is speaking to us. Sometimes the voice of God begins those new beginnings like the dream he gave for us about Ohio. Sometimes life just propels you to something new like our transition out of Tulsa. But either way, 
God is speaking and working and doing something that we need to tune our ears to and we need to understand. And sometimes God does prepare us in advance for those new beginnings, but sometimes life happens and you don't feel prepared at all. In either of those circumstances, we can either get curious and listen for the voice of God Or we can react to the experiences, the circumstances. You see, if we respond to the voice of God, what we end up finding is we get discover perspective and clarity as to what we're going through and how we are to go through that. But if we respond to the circumstances, what we tend to do is we tend to get lost in the clutter of life, the anxiety of life. We lose perspective and we begin to become disoriented and we even lose hope. So in any moment of new beginnings, the first place to start is carving out space to listen to God. What is God saying? It goes on and says, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark. New beginnings require us to be responsive, quickly responsive in our obedience to whatever God is saying. We don't actually know what Noah was thinking in this moment. We have no idea. He might have been thinking, I don't want to leave this boat. I don't want to go out and find out what everything looks like after it's destroyed. Maybe he was comfortable in knowing how to do life in the boat after a year and things kind of got into rhythm and he'd rather stay there because he didn't want to go out into the unknown. I mean, the ark after all had been his place of refuge and safety. And sometimes we resist new beginnings preferring what we know, even though we don't like what we know, even though we've been asking for something new. After all, the ark was the last thing God gave Noah. It's easy for us to cling on to the last thing that God gave us. On the other hand, Noah may have been uh, chomping at the bit to get out of that blasted boat and get out of the manure and seasickness and cabin fever and leave it all behind. And for some of you, you are, you are, you are scared of getting stuck. You're scared of getting stuck somewhere that, that you con- and you're constantly looking for the next thing, constantly exploring options and opportunities and ways to get out of your situation. But living like that doesn't help you live well either. Listening to God and actively obeying right now, living in the now is where God's presence and power and provision and blessing is found. I've heard a number of great preachers over the years and mentors say something like this. Whatever God initiates, God gets behind and makes happen. Whatever God, whatever we initiate, we have to sustain. And see, the last thing we want to do in life is to start something God's not in and feel like we have to be on the hamster wheel and just keep that thing spinning and going and it's all on our shoulders. See, whether Noah wanted to stay on the ark or get off the ark, it all comes down to, in this moment, an issue of trust. Who will we listen to and obey? God, that audience of one, or ourselves and others? New beginnings that bring the greatest good and best from God start in us learning to trust trust and we listen God and we listen to God until we hear him. And when we hear him, we quickly obey, even if it doesn't all make sense at the time. That trust for us oftentimes, I think, 
comes down to whether we really believe God is good and merciful and faithful and powerful beyond all other powers, beyond the circumstances, that God is above those. Only when we really believe that can we get into this level of trust. See, when your life is altered, build an altar. And that starts with listening and obedient response to God. The the third thing Noah does is he sacrifices Isn't this interesting? Noah leaves the ark, and the first thing he does isn't get to work. He doesn't go to work. He he doesn't build a home. He doesn't plant crops. He doesn't even take time to survey the land. The first thing he does is he is sacrificed to God. Now, just because the popular telling of the story might make you go, wait, two by two, two of every animal, sacrifice one, oops, extinct. Genesis 7, we sometimes forget this part of the story. It says, God told Noah to take seven pair of all clean animals, meaning in that language, it was all the animals that you were supposed to be able to eat. And so only one out of the seven was sacrificed or one out of the 14, whatever it is, was sacrificed. But still, think about it. If you're Noah and God has given you the command to replenish the earth and multiply and refill it, that doesn't make sense to get rid of maybe up to one-seventh of the edible animals right from the start before you even start to do that. It's not a very good start. It makes no sense, right? But Noah shows us an altar of new beginnings begins with sacrifice. An altar is a place where we make an offering to God. So altars in our lives, those places where we meet God and solidify decisions to move forward into the good God has for us are places we need to approach with open hands. And we need to say, God, whatever I have, I know you've given everything to me and I know you are my source and you can give me everything I need and more. Sometimes New beginnings force us to lay things on the altar of sacrifice because we have no choice. They were ripped out of our hands through loss of a job or loss of a loved one or other change. In those moments, the question is, are you going to trust God's goodness, that he has a better plan for you in the midst of that upheaval? And sometimes, many times, the new seasons that come into our lives, God is asking us to voluntarily sacrifice something that is really important to us to solidify that we trust him. Here are a couple examples of what that that might look like. Maybe your new beginning is a new job, a new position, or a, a new business you're starting, and your first response is to work like mad seven days a week to prove yourself, to make things happen, to be successful. So maybe for you what sacrifice looks like is actually keeping the Sabbath day of rest for God and family and Trusting that God can do more with your five or six days a week than he can with your seven days a week. Or maybe you're in a position where finances are tight. Are you willing to trust that God can do more with your 90% of your income than with 100% and therefore you choose to obey what God asks to give a tithe of 10% of our income to the church, to the mission of his church. Now, now you've heard all the stories, haven't you? 
of people who have said they took the leap to give 10% of their income to God's work and how God blessed them, whether that was blessing financially or whether that blessing was joy and purpose and relationships and meaning in life. It, it doesn't really matter what the blessing was. But, but if you've been around people of faith for any length of time, you've heard the stories from people just like you of God rewarding their faith of giving financially, even when, especially when, it represented sacrifice. In fact, often God could be asking you to maybe even give more than 10% of your income as a seed of sacrifice into something new. See, when we come to a place of new beginnings, when we want a new beginning, God is showing us and know that we need to come with this posture of trusting sacrifice. Are we willing to live with our hands open or are we going to hold things really tightly? And maybe it has nothing to do with money. But try, you're trying to hold on to something from your past, a relationship, a home, or a way of doing things, or, or a job you know God's calling you out of and you're not willing to leave it. That, that was good in the last chapter of your life, but may not be God's best goodness for you now in the same way. New beginnings represent us stepping out of our comfort zone, and we can't expect the goodness of a God who is so radically generous in his love and provision for us if we live with clenched fists and a closed heart? Are you willing to live with open hands and a posture of sacrifice? The posture that is really simply all about putting first things first. Jesus says in Matthew 6, he puts it this way, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Now, what are all those other things? Well, if you go back and read Matthew 6 right before that, Jesus just got done listing them. And what he's listed, he's saying, I will provide financial provision and food and clothing and beauty and honor and meaning and impact and purpose in life. Everything you could ever want in a great life will be added to you if you put God first. That is amazing. Notice, it's only after Noah listens and responds in obedience and makes the sacrifice on the altar that God puts the rainbow in the sky and says to him, I will never again destroy humanity as I have done. And God makes a covenant and a promise and he blesses Noah. So when your life is altered, make an altar. When you come to a new place of, a place of new beginnings, take a new posture. See, blessing follows this posture of listening. It follows a posture of responsive obedience, and it follows a posture of sacrificial trust in God. Listening, obedience, and sacrifice, really what those are all about is those are a good definition of what worship is. Because worship is all about putting first things first in our life. It's about putting God first in our life. That's what the core of worship actually is. We acknowledge his presence and his goodness. And we do that through listening, obeying, and trusting sacrifice. See, the altar is a place where we worship and we put our trust in God. For some of you, you have the opportunity to make the biggest, most important new beginning you've ever made this weekend. You can make an altar in your heart right where you're at and decide right now to respond 
to the love of Jesus, to receive his forgiveness and to dedicate your life to following Jesus and go beyond religious moralism to a relationship with him. I want to invite you to that today. If you want some help making that decision, then come talk to one of the prayer teams or the elders or staff afterwards. We'd love to encourage you in that as well. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. For others, you decided to follow Jesus, but that new beginning for you has never expressed itself in the symbolic sacrifice Jesus actually invites all of us to as followers of Jesus, the act of baptism. Baptism is the public declaration of your decision to follow Jesus. It is a symbolism. It it is full of symbolism in the act. It's all about you being washed clean. And and, and while we would never hold you under the water long enough to do this literally, it is about dying to yourself. It is about dying to your own way of thinking and your own ways. And you come out of the water and you choose to live to God's ways under God's leadership and wisdom. And you receive the Holy Spirit to come and guide you and empower you. If you have never taken that step and would like to be baptized, we don't have it on the calendar yet for the next date, but contact Jeremy at GoToQuest and make sure you get to be part of the next baptism celebration. So as we continue this series over the next few weeks, you're going to notice that every single altar is a place of worship that has these three components, listening to and encountering God, responsive obedience, and sacrifice that tangibly demonstrates our priority trust of God above all else. So maybe where we end today is maybe you're already a baptized follower of Jesus and uh, but God has been bringing you into a new season in your life. How are you creating space, intentional space, in the midst of all the excitement and all the pressure of that new beginning to listen, to obediently respond, and to sacrifice? Where is God asking you to put Him first in this new beginning? Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, thank you that you love to lead us to altars. And and sometimes I know that we can look at altars and think, gosh, that seems like a, a difficult place of sacrifice. But Lord, your intent in leading us there is so powerfully loving, so life transforming, so hopeful, so good. So I pray right now, even as many of us may be thinking of, yeah, I'm at this new beginning, I'm at this place, and Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? Lord, I pray that you'd come and you'd speak to us and that we would sacrifice willingly, we would listen readily, we would obey quickly, and Lord, that you would change our destiny and change humanity's destiny, people around us, our family our friends, because of the way we come to these places of decision and we allow you to be our God. We allow you to be our strength. And would you write the stories of our lives in such a way that the altars of our lives bring many people to faith and bring great joy to ourselves and to others. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, 
please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.